Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and be turning to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, we'll be focusing again on our practical Christianity. How are we supposed to live? What does James teach us about how to make it in daily living as a Christian? How are we to be distinctly different? Right now, we're going to talk about practical Christian living and what James says in James chapter 4, verse 1. Listen to what it says. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. And you're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do not you know that the friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be friends with the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose when it says... He, talking about God, jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. Today we want to understand a little bit about our hearts. We want to understand about our hearts and we want to answer this question. Why is there quarrels and conflicts that happen in our relationships with each other? Now stop there for just a minute. If you live your life and you never have a conflict with anybody... You live your life, you've never argued with anybody in your family, at work, your neighbors, wherever it might be, your friend. If you've never argued, never had a conflict at all, then we will let you go right now. You just go ahead. We'll dismiss you because you're probably one of the most perfect people we've ever seen. We're going to notice you on the way out that you're perfect. But if you happen to have ever had a conflict with somebody, had an argument with somebody, then James is speaking to that. And he basically says, I want you to understand your heart. And I want you to understand why you have quarrels and conflict. If quarrels and conflict happen in your relationship, why does that take place? There is a reason for that. There's a reason in your heart. So let's focus on what he's saying. Why do we have those quarrels and conflict? He says right here in verse 1, he says, the reason that you have that is because it's because of your pleasures. It's because of your pleasure. Now, let's put that in in terms of what we're talking about. The reason that you have conflict with somebody is because you want something that they don't want you to have. Or you want something different from what they want. See, pleasure is really about wants, isn't it? It's not about need. Pleasure is all about what I want in life. And all of us come with our wants. We have our big want or list. (laughs) What do we want? It may be different things, but we all come with wants in our life. And it says this, the reason that you have conflict with one another is that you want different things. When you're in a relationship with somebody, they want something and you want something and those two things do not mesh together. Therefore, it causes you to have quarrels and conflict. Think about that. It's not, it's not what most of us think. It's not that I'm in a bad mood today or it's, it's in, in the fact that we just have a personality. It's, it comes right down to what I want is not what you want. 
And, and, and who's going to win out on this thing? My want or your want? Who's going to win out on this? So let's talk about some basic rules in conflict, all right? Here's some basic rules you need to write down. Everybody needs to write it. Here's one. It takes two to have a conflict. It takes two to argue. Amen? It does. It takes two. I have yet to see anybody, as some people have been accused of, arguing with a stump. You've heard that. Maybe you've been accused of that. Man, you will argue with a stump. Well, if you see somebody arguing with a stump, we need to lock them up. Okay, because there's a problem there. Because the stump is not going to argue. And, and the way that you argue, the reason, the reason you're able to have conflict is that you, there are two of you. And so whenever you have a conflict in your family, you have a conflict in your relationship with your siblings, with your children, you have a conflict with your friends, you have a conflict at work, it's both of you who are involved in that conflict, all right? Both of you. Here's the second little rule you need to write down, is it's both of your fault. Uh-oh, that was an eye-opener. Because what do we usually think? It's all their fault. It's all their fault. In my years of counseling, and I've counseled for years and years, whenever that counseling comes and people are having conflicts with one another, this is what they basically say. If you will get her straightened out, we will be fine. Or if you will get him straightened out, we will be fine because we think the other person has all the problems, right? It's, in our relationships, it's both of us. Now, it might be 5% yours, I'm sure, and 95% of them, but you've got to take some blame somewhere, amen? It's both of us who are involved. Here's the third thing. You need, to, you need to write this down. Conflict comes over different opinions about issues. That's the reason you have a conflict. If you like the person that you're with, if you love that person who's in your family, then why would you have a conflict? It's not because you dislike them, you hate them, you don't want to be around them. You have a conflict because you have a difference of opinion. You think it's red, she thinks it's blue. All right? You think it's red, she thinks it's blue. It can't be both. So which one is it? It's a difference of opinion. And, and here's, here's what one of the rules is you, need to, you need to focus on is you need to keep it on that opinion or that issue, keep it centered in that, all right? Because the, the, the thing about it is you need to get settled about what, what is the issue and what is this really and what do we need to do and what's the best solution to this. We need to keep it issue-centered. We don't do that. We do not do that. You know what we do? We get personality involved, don't we? Uh-oh, don't look so holy. Whenever you start a conflict, you, you have a conflict and you're, you're arguing about your issue and you say what you've got and what you think... If you think they start winning, then you start pulling out some other ammunition like talking about their personality. Amen? That is a big mistake. It is a big mistake. Whenever you start talking about personality, you have upped the ante. That hurts. You realize that? I mean, you can tell me it's blue and red, but if you say that my dog is ugly, I'm going to say your cat is fat. Amen? Are you, you, you just start talking about my personality... And, and that's something different. It's something different. It, it affects me differently. But we will do that. We'll move on the personality traits and start talking about the weaknesses of somebody's personality or what they've done. It hasn't got anything to do with the issue. We have left the issue. Why do we do that? Because we want to win. <laughs> we want to win. Whatever we're doing, we want to win. I can tell you if you know that you've ever been in an argument with somebody and you have left the issue. 
Have you ever been in an argument? Maybe it's your brother and sister, whenever you are arguing. But have you ever been in an argument with somebody and suddenly somebody stops and says, what started this? You know what I mean? What started it? Well, if you can't remember what started it, then obviously you left the issue. Amen? You left that issue. So you've got to keep it focused in on that issue, which is always, he says, a matter of your pleasure. What do you want? What, what do they want? And, and here's, here's another little matter you need to put down. Is all of us have in our hearts our own little lust. They're little in our heart. They're big in yours. But we all have our lust. And you know what lust is? Lust is desire gone wild. It's desire gone wild. It's that I desire something so much. I want something so much. I'm so focused on that that even if I have to do something unrighteously or ungodly in order to have that met, I'll do it. That's what lust does. It causes you to sin. causes you to move further than you really want to. Or you really should. And all of us have those lusts, which is that desire for something, that what I want something that causes me to sin, causes me to do things and have things in my heart, say things I shouldn't say, respond ways I shouldn't do. Certainly not like Jesus. Well, back to what he says there in, in verse 1. He says, what is the source of your quarrels and conflict? Is it not the source of your pleasures that wage war in your members. Conflict with each other actually is like causing war. It's a war that rages in relationships. This week I was dealing with a, a couple, and when I was dealing with that couple, I, I came away from that thinking, God, in order for you to heal their marriage, it's going to take a miracle. It's going to take a miracle. I even said, Lord, it's going to take a miracle like separating the Red Sea or walking on the water. You know why? Because whenever people get in relationships and they have conflict and they hurt one another and each of them, they never see a way out and they don't see that the miracle working God can do a miracle in their life. And they have to be willing for a miracle working God to work in their lives. And, and it can be as though a loving relationship can turn into a war. A war that's waging against one another. People that you have a relationship with. People that you love. And, and whenever that conflict happens and that warring takes place and that quarreling and all those things are happening. If you're not careful, it will change your personality. It will change you who you are. Spiritually. That's what James says right here. Look what he says in verse 2. He says, you lust and do not have, so you commit murder. Now you say, well, Brother Mac, we haven't gone that far. We haven't gone that far. I mean, we haven't murdered anybody. But wait a minute. You remember what Jesus said? Remember what Jesus said? Hold your hand here for just a minute. Turn back to the Gospel of Matthew. Gospel of Matthew chapter 5, verse 22. It's the Sermon on the Mount. That's what Jesus says. He said this. I'll read verse 21. But you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. Verse 22. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. 
And whoever, notice what it says, shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whosoever shall say, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into hell of fire. He's not talking about committing physical murder. He said, if you do these things, it's just like murder. It's just like murder. And he says three things that can happen whenever you get in conflict and you get angry in your spirit. He said three. Notice what they were. He says, first of all, it says, if you are the one who gets angry with your brother, that's an emotion. That's an emotion that happens in your heart, in your life. If somebody you're in conflict with, it can be somebody you love dearly. But if you get angry in your spirit towards them, he says, whenever you get angry in your spirit towards them, It says, you shall be guilty before the court. That's just an emotion. But he goes on, he says, and whoever shall say to his brother, not only is it a matter of emotion that can be sinful, but if you were to say to your brother, Raka, if you were to say something harmful to your brother or sister, if you say that word that would be trying to dig in regard to that, it says, you are guilty before the Supreme Court. So if you have the emotion of anger, if you say to that person something that is harmful and hurtful, you are like committing murder. But that's not all. He says, and beyond that, that if you would say, not say to them, but what? Say about them. Uh Uh-oh, we don't ever do that, do we? Whenever we get in conflict with anybody, we don't ever talk about them, do we, to somebody else? Surely you don't do that. Oh, yes, we do. We'll get angry in our spirit. We'll say things that are harmful and hurtful to that person. And then we'll talk about them to somebody else who is a listening ear. And every one of those things, it says, that's like committing murder to your brother or your sister. Every one of those things is harmful to them. And it is a sin before Almighty God. What I'm simply telling you, when we get in our midst of quarrels and conflict because I don't get my way and I don't like it because I'm not getting my way, it'll cause me not to physically commit murder, I hope, but we will spiritually commit murder because we're saying things we shouldn't say, feeling things we shouldn't feel, and speaking about someone we should not be speaking about. And all of that changes us as a person. That's called sin, and sin affects you. It affects your life. Not just in that relationship, it affects every aspect of your life. It tarnishes everything about you. Why? Because you have that conflict, because you want something different than somebody else wants, and you won't give in, and you won't humble your heart, and all of a sudden you find that you've changed. You've changed. Not only that, he said there's another way you change. Look at verse 2. It says, you lust and do not have, so you commit murder, and you are envious... And you cannot obtain. So what? So you fight and quarrel. It's not only the matter that you, it says you commit murder by what you're doing in regard to that. But you become envious in your heart. You either desire a position. Or you desire a possession. Or you desire a privilege. There's something that you desire that's out there that you cannot obtain that somebody else has. And because of your desire, that intense envy within you and jealousy within your spirit, it will affect your life. Have you ever been envious of a person because of what they possessed? A position that they had, a privilege they enjoyed? Have you ever, have you ever been jealous and envious about that? He says, whenever you find yourself quarreling, 
and you find yourself in the midst of a conflict because you're not getting your way and you feel like somebody else is getting their way and somebody else is winning and you're not winning, envy will creep into your heart. And once again, envy is sin and sin will affect you. Not just in that relationship. Sin will affect you in every relationship. That envious spirit will affect you in everything you do. It'll change you. Do you realize that? I think most of us think that we're, we're Teflon. Nothing sticks to us. And I think most of us think that we're really good at hiding who we are. And we're not. I mean, when you had that conflict with somebody in your home... Don't think that whenever you come to work, everybody in the world doesn't know about it. Oh, you don't hide it that well. Why? Because it affects everything about your life. They might not be able to pinpoint what it is, but they know there's something there because you're not the same person because what? That sin has affected your life. Love yourself enough that you don't let your life be affected by that kind of sin. Love yourself enough that you not let your life be tarnished. And how would you love yourself enough... Be willing in the midst of conflict to let somebody else win other than you. Amen? Be willing to realize that the reason you have conflict is because you don't want the same thing they want. But what you want is really not that important anyway. What really matters is what they want more than what you want if you're going to be like Jesus. And be willing to lose. It's okay to lose. But see, you had to lose everything in order to get Jesus anyway, didn't you? Amen? Amen? You lost it all to find everything. You lost everything to find him. It's it's okay to lose. But if you're going to constantly be fighting to win and you constantly think your opinion is the most important thing, then you're going to find that your life will be dramatically affected. Now, Now, I want to share with you the real solution to the real problem. Here's the real solution. Notice what it says in verse 2. Please don't miss this. Notice what it says. Very last phrase. You do not have because you do not ask. Did you hear what, did you hear what the Word of God said? Did y'all hear that? Listen to that. You do not have what? What you long for. What you desire. What you feel like would meet your need. You do not have because you do not ask. That is one of the saddest commentaries about human experience in the Bible. Amen? I mean, here's what the Word of God says. You do not have it because of only one reason. You didn't ask for it. When you go home, I want you to go back and read in 1 Samuel. Read in the life of David, First and Second Samuel. Read, read about the life of David. And I want you to remember that when David had everything, he was king and he was ruler of everything. He, he was just a godly man until he made a horrible mistake. Instead of going to war, he stayed home. He's out walking on the balcony when he should have been leading his men. And he sees a woman who's bathing. Her name was Bathsheba. He desires her, lusts for her, longs for her, goes and gets her, brings her to his home, has a relationship with her. And it happened to be one of his mighty men's wife and one of his best friend's wife that he did this with. He then goes away and thinks everything's fine except he gets a message a few days later that Bathsheba says that she's pregnant with his child. Then he brings that friend home, Uriah, and has him to come to him and he sends him home, but he doesn't go into his wife so he can't protect what he did. So he gets him drunk one night to try to get him to go into his wife, and once again he didn't go in. So whenever he couldn't protect himself by all of his scheming and his lies, this is the man after God's own heart. 
But he can't protect him that way. He sends him to the front line and tells the commander, put him on the front line and back up for him and let him be killed. That's called murder. And let him be killed. And he was killed. And then he takes his wife and brings her into his home. He thinks everything seems to be fine until you read the next chapter. And that is when God sends Nathan, who's the prophet of God, and he goes and tells him a story. Tells him a story about a man who has many, many sheep. Very wealthy, has many sheep. And then there's another man who has just a one little ewe lamb. Whenever the man who was wealthy had somebody to come visit with him, instead of killing one of his many sheep, he takes the one man's little ewe lamb, kills it, and feeds his guests. And David gets so angry, and he says, bring that man here. That man must pay. And Nathan says, you are the man. That's what you did, David. And here's what the commentary is that God says to David. I gave you all I gave you all of Saul's lineage. I gave you all of Saul's possession. I gave you everything. Listen now. And if that were not enough, all you had to do was ask me and I would give you more. All you had to do was ask me And I will give you more. One of the saddest commentaries about human experience is that many of us do not have because we do not ask. If you you have a need in your life, if you're wanting something in your life, if you have that in your life and you do not ask, you are making a terrible mistake because you're missing out on a wonderful God who will take good care of you. Let me tell you about the God that we're talking about. Write these verses down. In Philippians chapter 4, 19, he says, He is a God who will supply your every need. In Psalm 37, 4, it says that he will give you, if you delight yourself in him, he will give you the desires of your heart. In Ephesians three twenty, he says that he is the one who gives beyond what you could ever ask or think. A God who promises to supply your need, a God who gives you the desires of your heart, a God who will give you beyond what you could ever ask or think and use your imagination. That God says he will bless you and you don't ask how foolish we are that we do not ask. Or see, God says that he will give abundantly to us everything, not just what you need, He gives you the desires of your heart. So you need to ask. And and see, if you'll ask and God supplies you the needs and and he gives you not just what you need, but what you want in life. And all of a sudden he's pouring into you and blessing you abundantly with all you need and all that you want and you desire of your life. He gives to you, then you can let somebody else win. You can let somebody else have the desire of their heart. Because God's met the desire of your heart. But if I don't let him meet it and I don't ask him and I meet somebody else who doesn't ask him and we're both wanting the desire of our heart, we're not finding that with the God who abundantly supplies, then I'm going to try to win. And I'm going to find myself in a quarrel, conflict, an argument with somebody else who's as empty as I am. What we need to be is in love with him. Spirit-filled, amen? That's what we need. Well, he says this, though. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. And then verse 3 qualifies that. It says, but you ask and you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. He says, now, whenever you ask of God, the, the ultimate reason to ask of God is not because you want it because you want it. 
The ultimate reason you want from God is that, that through God giving it to you, it will be a blessing to the kingdom of God, and it fulfills God's purpose in you. Because, see, one thing about God is he is a great heavenly father. Most of you who are fathers and mothers, you know this. You do not give your children everything they ask for, do you? If you do, you are raising a tornado. You are going to be in trouble. All right? One of the things you need to let your children learn that you say, and they need to learn this because they're going to have to learn it in life. They need to learn what no means. You know that? They, mean, they need to learn what no means. Teach them no. Oh, I want this. I'd like that. No. You're not going to have. They need to learn what no is because they're going to get no's in life. And if they've gone all through their childhood and all they ever got was yes, 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 they will have a panic attack and fall to pieces because somebody told them no. No is something that you need to learn. And a good heavenly father, as a good earthly father, is going to understand some things are not good for my child and I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. And, and thank God that he said no at times. Amen. Thank God that he knows best and, and better than we, what we do. And he says no at times. And he says, if you're asking something just for your own pleasure, if you're asking just for you and it's all about you, then you're going to be times I'm going to say no to you because that's not the best thing for you. Because what, what God wants us to learn is that life is not just about us. Did y'all hear that? Life is not just about you. I, I, I don't know if you realize it or not, but the rest of us are not here playing on your set. We're just not piece of the puzzle that make your world where it all revolves around. It's not. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's really about him. It's about our purpose in life and, and how we fit into what he's doing. And if you spend all of your life all about you and you think it's all about you, you're going to miss out on the greatest thing because true joy is when it's Jesus, others, then you. Amen? It's Jesus first, others, and, and then you. And, and when you realize that you're here to glorify God and you're here to fulfill God's purpose in your life and there's a plan that God has for you, and, and whenever you find yourself in that niche where God wants you to be, that's the greatest joy you'll ever have, the greatest successes you'll ever know. It's the wonderful place to be. Therefore, when God sees you going the wrong direction, he'll say no because you're spending it on the wrong thing. You're focused on the wrong thing, and he wants to keep you focused. Then he tells us something It's very important. Look what it says in verse number four. You adulteresses. Boy, that's a powerful word. You want to be called that? (laughs) You adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Now, here's how he's tying that in. Pleasure basically is tied to our relationship to this world. What makes me feel good in this world? What is pleasing in this world? But there's something more important in this world. That's the world to come. All right? This whole world is going to pass away. However many years you live in this life, you're going to pass away and you're going to die. But you're going to exist forever in a place called heaven if you know Jesus. Amen? And therefore, knowing that is far more important than knowing this down here. And, and he says, you got to be careful because this whole world, you can fall in love with it. And if you fall in love with this world and you become friends with this world and you spend all your time about this world, you're going to miss out that the most important relationship is the relationship you have with me because I'm going to want to take you to heaven. And he says you got to be careful if you're going to spend your whole life about pleasures and what pleases you in life, you're going to be attached to this world. And if you're attached to this world, it says 
you're like an adulteress. Remember, he's, James is written to believers, not unsaved people. He said, you're like an adulteress. Because where your loyalty is supposed to be and where your love and passion is supposed to be and the one that you made your commitment to is me. You're supposed to love me. That's what he said. You love me, God, more than you love anything else. And don't let anything else of this world slip in and cause you to begin to love it and be friends with it. He says, because if you want to, if you want to be friends with the world and you want to have a relationship with the world, you can't really have a relationship with me. And he lets you know something very important there. And that is this. The world, listen to me now, the world will coexist with you and God. The world will coexist with you and God. The world will say, just let me have a little part. Just let me have a little bit of part. I'll let you have that relationship with God, but let me have this little part because it's going to keep wanting more and more and more part. It will coexist. Just like a mistress will coexist with a husband and wife. That mistress who he goes to see and doesn't coexist with, and she knows that he's with his wife, she is willing to do that. But hold on a second. That may be what the world does, but God doesn't do that. God will not coexist with you in the world. All right? He will not coexist with you and the world. You're going to have to be loyal to him. You're going to have to be faithful to him. You're going to have to be committed to him and him alone for there to be that relationship. He will not. No more than a wife should or would coexist with her husband having a mistress. Why wouldn't, shouldn't deal with that? Say, that ain't happening. That's not happening. You made a commitment to me. You're loyal to me. You're going to be with me. And we're not sharing. The world will say, let's share. God says, I do not share. Your commitment, your loyalty is to me. Look what it says, verse 4. You adulteresses, you do not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Here you are, a child of God, and you're like an enemy of God because you're not willing to be committed and loyal to him. Your, Your passion ought to be for him. Your desire ought to be for him, not things of this world, not the pleasure of life. It ought to be him. And, and do you know what it says about God? Look what it says in verse number five. It says, or do you not think that the scripture speaks to no purpose when it jealously, it says he jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. You know what it says? God jealously desires. Last week I told you that jealousy can be good or bad. A good jealousy is this intense desire to be with, to love, to have passion towards. A bitter jealousy is what we described last week that turns your heart bitter. But it says God jealously desires the spirit is within you. It says this. He has a passion towards you and me. He wants us. And he wants us so much that he chose for his Holy Spirit to come and dwell our hearts. Imagine that. Our fleshly lives, he sends the Holy Spirit to come and dwell our hearts, to live within us. And that Holy Spirit is there for us to be able to glorify Jesus, to glorify God, to honor, to worship him. He placed his spirit within us to allow us to fulfill God's purpose in life. And he says, he so loved us, he put his spirit within us, that he always and continuously, jealously desires us. He wants us. And he doesn't want to share you with anybody. He doesn't want to share you with the world. 
He doesn't want to share you with your pleasures. He doesn't want to share you with your temporal value things. He wants you to be committed to him wholeheartedly, totally and absolutely. And when you are, he has already revealed through giving his son, he is committed to you. He's given you everything, and he will give you whatever you need to walk a godly life. He'll, if he has to move heaven and earth to bring it, he will give it. All you have to do is ask. All you have to do is ask. And let me tell you, my experience in, in, in relationship with this holy, loving, jealous God is the fact that you cannot outgive him. Amen? And that he is so abundantly blessing, so beyond what we could ever imagine. He just does that. And, and his pleasure is to give. Some of us look back and say, well, I tell you, I just don't want to ask God because he's too busy. He's never too busy for you. All right? I, I don't want to ask God because I've asked God for things before. That's all right. His bag is big. Amen? He has a big bag. And, and I, I, don't want to use up all, I don't want to use up all my favors. It's not like a wish list or you rub the, the little lamp. It's... It's a relationship with a holy God. Do you understand that? And one of, the, one of the pleasures that we have in relationship to our children is to give them. To give to them, to bless them, to see them smile, to see them happy because we've done something for them. Where do you think you got that from? It originated from the heart of God. He gets pleasure in meeting your needs and supplying for you. That's what he wants to do. That's what he desires to do. That's what he set in motion. So ask. I do not want to get to heaven one day and, and God say to me, well, Mac, the reason you didn't have it is because you didn't ask for it. I was really wanting to give it to you. I really would like you to have it. But you just never would ask. Ask. Ask with the right heart. And understand God loves you that much. He sent his spirit to dwell in you that he wants to give to you. And if you will let your life experience that, you will be filled with his spirit. And you know what you'll find out? As you're filled with His Spirit, you don't have to fight. You don't need to argue. You don't need to have conflict. When my wife and I got married, we, we prayed this. God, help one of us to always be Spirit-filled. That's a great prayer. Now, you know why we're saying it? Is there's going to be times when each of us is going to be a pain. Of course, not me. But some, some of us... Some of us are going to, there are going to be times we're going to be a pain. But Lord, at that time, help that, help the other one to be spirit-filled. So that they're kind and loving and caring and patient and can put up with us when we're a pain. And, and you know, we haven't been 100% successful about that. But praise God that Lord has helped us to miss many a conflict because, thank God, usually her... <laughs> was filled with the Holy Spirit, amen? Was filled with the Holy Spirit. You don't have to have conflict. You don't have to have quarrel. Know the source. Know the solution. God wants us to walk in peace with one another. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website, at parkermemorial.com slash sermon dash series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. 
In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.